Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show, and you definitely got tickets. And drinks. Now hurry and make it back to your spot. Pass this person and that person about 20 more. Ooh, watch out for feet. Hey. Just keep going. A little further. Oh, there's your friend. Over here. Right where you want to be. Close enough to see the set list. And they're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Hey, this is Griffin Tucker of Classic Act, and you're listening to Jay Scott with the Hook Rocks. Welcome back. It's the Hook Rocks. It's Jay Scott. It's the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Thanks for coming by once again and giving us a listen. Listen to what we're gabbing about and what we're talking about. Thank you very much for all the three-year anniversary wishes. I do appreciate it. It's hard to real uh, to believe that we've been doing this for three years. But uh, on to number four and beyond. And thank you all for the support and Always love talking rock music, and I know you do too. And I know you don't. You like to listen to what people are talking about. It's just uh, it's a great platform to do it. So thank you again for the three years. I do wholeheartedly appreciate it. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music related podcasts. Don't forget to check out my friends Tom and Zeus on Shout Out Loudcast, and everyone rated Kiss Podcast. Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Mistress Carrie out in Boston. Aaron and Chris on Decibel Geek, check them out. Great podcast there, as well as Mac on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Always enjoy what he has going on. 
Don't forget to follow The Hook Rocks wherever you do podcasts, whether it's Amazon, Apple, or Spotify. We are available everywhere. And don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest and greatest episodes. And also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Hook Rocks, on Twitter and Facebook as well. Search up The Hook Rocks. We've had some awesome episodes over the last few months. We've had Mark Tremonti, Joe Satriani. We've had Stephen Piercy, who just celebrated our three-year anniversary show. So always good to have him on. Some great new music spotlights like Fast Eddie. We've had Deep Fall. We've had Stone Broken, as well as Native Sons. So check those out as well. Many, many new music spotlights. Always like promoting the new bands. And also some great music commentary episodes as well. We just did a great episode with Skylab, our resident audio professor, on what you can do for free to enhance your acoustics in your house and how to place your speakers. And if you want to invest in getting a subwoofer, but mostly it's about speaker placement. And we also talk about what you can do at a show where the venue doesn't have the best acoustics and you want a better sound quality experience. So check that out. Also check out the latest uh, new music spotlight too, as well with Griffin Tucker from the great Southern California band classes Act. they just released an album here this past Friday on June 24th. They're opening up for Motley Crue and Def Leppard on the stadium tour. Had a pleasure to see them with Dorothy and Joyous Wolf. So check them out. We have another wonderful guest, one of my favorite guests to have on the show. This is probably like her fourth or fifth time she's done this. She's great. She's awesome. She's got a lot going on. She's the host of Metal from the Inside, which I'm told from a very reliable source that it is going to be returning very soon. She's also doing some radio stuff out in Philadelphia. She's going to talk a little bit about that, but we're going to get into the legacy of Rat. My guest is Sydney Taylor. And what is happening? How are you doing? Hey, Jay. It is uh, always such a blast to be on. So thank you so much for asking me back. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Always, anytime. We always have fun with these conversations. People always love to hear what band we're going to be talking about. We've done Dokken. We've done, God, who else have we done on these legacy shows? Um, I don't know. We've done a lot. Yeah, there's, there's, there's been a bunch, but they're always, you know, I, I've heard ones that you've done with other people too, and they're always so fun to listen to. So yeah, yeah, no, they're great to kind of break down the origins and the history and what the band's doing now, what the band was all about, and most importantly, why they were important in the rock scene. So we're going to dive into that, but first, you know, kind of tell us what's happening in your world. Yeah, so um, I know, like you mentioned, I uh, work at a radio station here in Philly, uh, 93.3 WMMR, uh, which is our active rock station here. Um, and I do uh, some on-air work every Friday into Saturday night. I work the uh, the late shift, 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, but it's great because WMMR is honestly one of the only stations um, I, be- I believe in the country that I know of that still has live DJs 24-7. 365 there's always somebody on the air whether it's christmas morning or uh like this past year i was on um the night into thanksgiving morning you know there's there's always somebody on um always a real person to talk to uh you know so i'm i'm very proud to to be one of those people that is on and you know i get a lot of people who uh seem to appreciate you know when they're working overnight or you know I've gotten people who, you know, listen on the overnight shift, like while they're working at, you know, a grocery store or a warehouse. And uh, it's cool to be able to keep those people company, even though it's a little bit late at night. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and I've been loving it so far. That's awesome. I mean, back in the day when 
DJs were prevalent. That was one of the other reasons why people listened to the radio. It wasn't just about the music. It was about the personalities, about, you know, what they were saying, what they were talking about. And DJs had liberty to really kind of showcase new bands. I mean, that's kind of how bands became to be before MTV. Um, And even while MTV was in existence, DJs were able to kind of, you know, hey, I really like this tune from this new band that I saw at this club the other night. I'm going to put them on or I'm going to do this or whatever. And that's kind of how bands got discovered. That's how bands got their start. Yeah, it's it's cool. We, I mean, we showcase, since we're active rock, we showcase, you know, a lot of newer artists. Um, one of the fellow DJs uh, that works at the station, his name is Jackson, and uh, he has a little segment that he does every Wednesday at 630 where he plays a local band. Um, where, you know, local bands can submit and they're like our local shots artist of the month. And, you know, we play them every Wednesday um, at 630 at a specific time. We plug the shit out of them. Um, so it's cool that he does that. And, uh, yeah, we're always, we're always switching up the new tunes. Uh, you know, we play a lot of Dorothy, the new song, uh, which was so pumped. I mean, it's been a little bit now, but that was one that I was really excited that we added when uh, she came out with Rest in Peace. And, um, yeah, there's just a lot of cool bands coming out. And I'm, I'm glad that I work for a station where we're, we're able to play them. It is important. It definitely is. And, and being, you know, Philadelphia, you've got a lot of good local, you know, rock bands that are out there. I know I've always plugged the age of truth to you and, and always, you know, a big fan of them. And, and, uh, their last album that they released last year was just absolutely tremendous. Which I did bring them up after we had our last conversation. I did bring them up to my music director and she actually informed me that they were a local shots artist. I think, um, I don't think that long ago, either like last year or, or sometime. So she definitely has her eye on them and, uh, I'm hoping maybe she'll have them return for, for a slot soon. So fingers crossed. Yeah. I've got to make it out that way to see them live. They, they, they really yeah. don't venture out outside the East coast. I know they do some stuff in Maryland and some other places, but uh, I need to see that band live. Yeah, you got to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. So once again, as we mentioned, we're going to be talking about Rat and the legacy of Rat, the importance of Rat. Um, it's a band that when you do think back of that decade in the 80s, they're they're not top of mind. They're, they're more or less forgotten. And when you because you talk about the Bon Jovi's and you talk about the Def Leppard's, and the Motley Cruz. Those are really like, the, and Van Halen. Those are like the big four that people talk about. Obviously, later on in the 80s, Metallica was able to, to really kind of harness their audience as they were building that audience from the begin, you know, from the mid 80s and on. You had Judas Priest and, and Maiden that were kind of from, you know, the, the new wave of British heavy metal, although there's some disagreement on whether Judas Priest should be included in that. But they, you know, had a, a, a great fan base. Of course, Scorpions. But the bands that really had the number one singles, Def Leppard, you know, I don't know if Motley Crue ever had, had a number one single, but Bon Jovi and Van Halen, Rat was really at the very beginning and at the forefront. And you can argue that because of Out of the Cellar and the popularity of Round and Round, and I just talked about this with Stephen Piercy, the lead singer, I don't know if there would have been that much of a jump. Of course, Van Halen would have been Van Halen, but would Motley Crue and Def Leppard and Bon Jovi been the artists that MTV built them up to be without the song Round and Round? It's a very good question. But it's a band that rose from the streets of the Sunset Strip, started out in, in San Diego as Mickey Rat, 
and came to be and really made a name for themselves being kind of the origins of sleaze rock in terms of the sound, in terms of the style, in terms of the image. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that you say that, that they're kind of at the forefront because, um, I mean, they, they really were. And what's, you know, interesting about Rat is that, you know, looking back, um, the first, it's like the first two albums, you know, aside from the EP, um, like Out of the Cellar and Invasion of Your Privacy are like the two albums that I feel like most people remember. And then once you get into the heyday where like, you know, Motley Crue came out with Girls, Girls, Girls and Poison and Bon Jovi, it's like not a lot of people I feel like, you know, are super familiar or go back a lot to if you're, if you're just kind of a casual fan, like Dancing Undercover and Reach for the Sky. You know, they had I Want a Woman and, you know, there's Way Cool Junior on that album, but it's like those two albums are, I feel like are like the staples. And it's funny that they came before, like you said, all of those, those bands that had those huge albums in the late eighties. So it's, it's the evolution of it is, is quite interesting as time has progressed. Yeah. You know, Steven has been very honest about the dysfunction in the band throughout its history. And you almost have to think that that had a lot to do with the lack of, of sustainable success, Um, especially as we moved on beyond that decade. Of course, every band, I believe, went through their difficult time and that phase where they were trying to figure out who they were and what they wanted to be when grunge came to be. But after that whole period ended and those bands started to resurge again or have a resurgence, Rat was kind of nowhere to be with the original members. There's been different you know, factions of rat touring throughout the years. Steven was in the band. He wasn't in the band. You know, other members have come and go. They had a big, huge public falling out that ended up in court. That was, you know, a lot of stuff was, was put online about that. It's unfortunate the way things have ended up. It's unfortunate that they still have not been able to capitalize on that success, especially when you see Def Leppard and Motley Crue put together the stadium tour that, you know, legions of people are going out to see. Rat needs to be included in stuff like that. Rat needs to be a part of it. And unfortunately, as of right now, they are not. Yeah, it's um, it's it's weird, these bands that get carried into you know, like, like you said, this kind of revival of when this music kind of came, came back in the, the early 2000s and, and stuff like that. Um, you would think, and, and I would think being such big fans of this music that they would be up there with the Motley Crues and, and, and the Def Leppard since they, they were just so, such a big part of that era and, and around those bands at the time. And, um, it's, it's weird that they aren't. And again, I, like you said, I think a lot of that can be possibly credited to the fact that there was a lot of dysfunction, um, that, you know, I, it's, but it's weird. You look at a band like Motley Crue and, and they, you know, they also had falling outs and they had, you know, John Karabi come in and sing an album. And, you know, it's, they always didn't have all of the same original members all the time either. And, and so you wonder why those bands, uh, somehow have been able to come back from dysfunction and, you know, be in such a legion where, you know, you're playing stadiums, uh, you know, four years after your farewell tour, uh, you know, um, and, and rats not. Um, so it's, it's definitely strange, but I mean, to me, I I've always, 
thought that Rat was just such uh there was just so instrumental in in that whole scene. I mean, you look at the success, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of just round and round as a whole. Um, and even even over 30 years later, you know, uh I think in 2020 is when they were in that Geico commercial and that song got just as big as ever, you know, 30 years later. And it's like you can't um you can't deny the not only the talent within the band, um, but just how how instrumental they were to that to that genre and that that period of of time. When you think of the EP that came out in 1983, I believe it was 82 or 83, and the sound that was incredibly different than anything they were going to release after that. Um, it was very heavy. It was very priest like. When you think of the songs like Tell the World and Sweet Cheater, um, the sound was still evolving with them. They were still very much a street band at the time. Um, They had the the song You Think You're Tough, which later became more popular because of Out of the Cellar. But that really was the coming out for rap. They had been around a long time as Mickey Rat down in San Diego. They moved up to Southern California in large part because Steven's experience of seeing Van Halen in Southern California, I believe at the Troubadour Whiskey Go-Go and sitting on the side of the stage and going back down. He talks about this in his documentary, going back down to San Diego and telling the guys in the band, like, Hey man, we need to step it up. There's this band Van Halen that is just killing it. And when you think of that impact that, that, that Van Halen had on Steven and other bands in that era, it really kind of honed in what they were trying to do, really tried to focus and get motivated and be the band that they became. They released Out of the Cellar, became huge. Out of the Cellar was gigantic when I was yeah. a kid, gigantic. And what's, what's forgotten about that album is how it propelled them to headliners. Because on the next album, Invasion, which was only their second album, full-length album they were headliners they were they were touring with Bon Jovi who had just started out and when you think of their contemporaries back in that day such as Quiet Riot such as Motley Crue Def Leppard they weren't headlining until the third album you know they were not you know Motley Crue didn't headline until Theater of Pain Def Leppard didn't headline until Pyromania and so on I don't know if Quiet Riot really ever headlined anything you know, in, in terms of a, an arena or something like that. I don't think they did. I don't remember if they did. Yeah. They, yeah. They were, but I mean, they were like huge because of that album. Gigantic. Yeah. I mean, massive. Uh, and I think a lot of that also, you know, um, not only the, the radio airplay that they got, but also, you know, that was the advent of MTV, right? You know, that video round and round got on it was the beginning of of that era of you know you have a video on mtv and you are this album is doing good because not you know you not anybody could have a video on mtv um and i think that also having that on uh definitely propelled that band in 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 ways that um i think you wonder what it would have been like if if the advent of mtv you know if let's say they came out and in that Van Halen era, you know what I mean? Um, in, in the late seventies before that was a thing, you know, you wonder how, how the band would have evolved or, or the popularity would have been different. Um, you know, depending on that, 
I, I think you can say that for a lot of different bands too of that of that time you know that that helped so much along with the fact that the the song was great the album was great i mean that album to me is a it's you know all killer no filler like i don't you know i listen to that album i don't skip a single song usually um it's you know so along with the musicianship the fact that the album was great and the fact that they were able to nail you know a video on mtv and have you know teenagers all over the world be able to to hear the song um and and see them and and etc i think that that definitely helped with that as well the rat ep sold over a hundred thousand units when it first came out now that may not sound like a big deal to most listening to this show right like oh a hundred thousand but they didn't have any radio airplay outside of southern cal i think KLOS, KMMET, and maybe KNAC were playing them. Um, they didn't have social media like like we do now. It was all word of mouth. So to do that for a band, for, for the large part, I think they were all in their early 20s. I think Warren Martini was maybe 19 at the time. That's incredible Like to think about that. That is amazing to sell 100,000 albums or you know 100,000 units of an EP without a national presence without national radio without a national tour basically come out of nowhere and do that no that's incredible I I mean what other band name another band uh that you know during that that time on you know in in that niche on this on the strip I mean you you really can't that (laughs) sold a hundred thousand records on their their first EP I mean that's remarkable yeah, and one of the songs tell the world how I discovered Rat and how I heard of Rat being a young kid because I had an older brother who had a lot of friends and we, we had the park listening to music was Tell the World, which was on the Metal Massacre compilation, which were these cassettes or albums that compilation, you know, would have, uh, they would have come out with different bands and different, um, from different areas and put them on this, this compilation album. So let me let me tell you what the medical metal massacre what other bands that were on this album that Rat was on. Now this is Rat. Oh gosh. Steeler, which was the Ron Keel Ingvay Malmsteen band, was yep. on there. Bitch, who I've heard of. I'm not really familiar with 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 songs. The band Malice, who had some mild success in the 80s. Avatar, Kurith Ungol, which I don't know, Demon Flight, Pandemonium, Malice Again, and Metallica, Hit the Lights. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So when you think of where this band was being placed and what they were being geared to, it's more like that Judas Priest type of audience that they were being marketed to. Um, They had a very raw sound. If anyone has never really checked out that EP. You, you can find it on YouTube. You can listen to it. It is heavy. It's extremely heavy. Yeah. They do do a, a song "Walk in the Dog," which is a which is a cover tune. Um, but that was very like what they were what they were putting out. It wasn't so out of the cellar where they kind of had some radio friendly type stuff that came after that. Yeah, I mean, I that album, the EP is definitely a lot heavier than anything that they they did um after that and 
wow, I, I can't believe Metallica was on there. It, it and it's funny because I feel like Rat is one of those bands. Um, I know we kind of talked about this a little bit with Dokken. Um, that you know they were before they they were in the period where glam I feel like was still taken seriously. You know that era of like you know along with Motley Crue, um, the early Motley Crue, at least I think before, you know, I know that some people had their, their gripes about like theater of pain or whatever. Um, but you know, 83, you know, 84, that kind of period where glam was still like, you know, not looked at as like, you know, quote unquote poser metal, you know, once poison came out and, you know, the album cover of look what the cat dragged in hit and, you know, all that stuff. And you eventually get into, I, you know, that oversaturated period that we kind of saw on the, the late 80s early 90s with you know a lot of different bands you know some some not so well known uh you know i think that that was when it started to like take a take a nosedive but rat was you know still in that era where it was like you know they weren't as heavy as metallica on out of the cellar you know they obviously you know toned it down a little bit i think that they were still obviously heavy enough that they i feel like could be categorized as a form of you know heavy metal um but they were still they were still taken seriously you know they they wore you know the <laughs> you know you watch the round and round video and i mean they they were glam but uh i think it's interesting the the involvement of of that you know from maybe rat could have come out in the late 80s and they wouldn't have been taken you know you know it's just it wonder what it would've been like i've always been curious about that if like if you were to place another band in a different time you know if they were to come out and in 89 like skid row you know how would how would they have been perceived uh, it's it's like an interesting kind of philosophical like thing i think about sometimes i think the difference between bands like rat and motley crew and other bands that were part of that early 80s period where they were they still had that heaviness the image was never more important than the music it may have yeah. been equal Right. But or may have been secondary, but it was never more important than how they could play. As the 80s went on, especially into the late 80s, a lot of bands that came out, it was more about what they looked like than if they could play. And Rat really was, you know, from the streets. And they kind of yeah. had that vibe, that 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 sense of dirtiness, that sense of trouble that they kind of had with their music and the way the riffs were presented and and the way the vocals were sung uh and approached you know it was a very much a street band you know when they came out similar to what van halen was when they released their debut album similar to motley Crue when they released too fast for love those guys lived and breathed it right you know they were living in you know apartments with cockroaches they were struggling to make ends meet um they had a purpose Whereas I think as band, as that, as that music evolved, the purpose wasn't there. It was, we got to do what this band just did and we got to top it. You know, there was, there was a lack of authenticity as that decade moved on and these bands really started to come out. Cause I remember, and I told this story when I would go to the grocery store with my mom, I'd go to the magazine section and I'd read circus and hip parader and cream and whatever else was out. And I remember hearing bands on the radio and then seeing pictures of them like, Oh, okay. This is what they look like. Then it became, I had not heard a band on a radio, but they were in a magazine. I had no idea what they sounded like, but I know what they look like. It was yeah. like a reversal as we got into the late eighties, early nineties. 
yeah, I wanted to really quick because I pulled it up. Um, I want to talk a little bit too about the the lineup because I had forgotten um, a couple of people. It, I'd done some research because I knew we were doing this, um, but the members that they had gone through and and just leading up to recording the EP, um, you know, like Jakey Lee has started out at Mickey Rat which is, is crazy. You know, it's like, I, I, I love also in a lot of these bands on the sunset strip, the rotation between bands is always so fascinating to me. You know, Jakey Lee was a rat for a second. Then he went on to do all of the other notable projects, you know, that we know him for, um, you know, Juan at the time wasn't in the band. He was in Dokken, which, it, you know, he was a plate on breaking the chains, which is crazy. Um, even Mark Torian uh, was replaced Warren for a period. And then Warren ended up coming back to record the EP. Um, so it's like, I, I love the, the lineup changes. And again, it's, it's truly so fascinating to me how things just work out the way that they're meant to and, and the right people come in and the chemistry is there. And, you know, you go on to release an EP that sells a hundred thousand records. Um, but you know, it's like, you know, Mark Torian, I, I honestly, before, I forgot about that before I did some research. I was like, Oh my God, he did, he did replace him for a very brief period of time. How, you know, how different that would have been if he, you know, if he stayed in the band, like what if Warren never recorded the EP like that, you know, it's, it's so fascinating. The lineup changes that went on before uh, that was released. There was um, a lot of movement in between Dokken and Rat. I think Wine Cross Sierra plays on Breaking the Chains. Um, At one point, Bobby Blotzer was in Dokken. Yep. Um, You know, I think when they were touring Germany, uh, because Dokken was very big over in Germany prior to them being big in the United States or reaching the success that they had in the United States. So there was a lot, yeah, that band and, and, and Rat really kind of had a, 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 you know, and of course we all knew a couple of years ago when George Lynch came out and was offered to replace Warren Martini as they yeah. were trying to put together something that could, you know, resemble Rat too as well. So there's always been a history between those two bands. I feel like they're also, you know, we did the episode on Dawkins. I feel like they're very similar bands in a lot of ways, you know, not even just members and the fact that, you know, so many members have played in each band, but uh, just the, the music, you know, musically, you know, heavy, like you, we, you were just speaking about the music always came for the image, you know, they kind of adapted with the times, you know, as, as we got later into the eighties. Um, but I think both in, in the same league of should have been bigger to a certain extent, you know, as we kind of go into this, like we talked about that, um, you know, kind of like revival of this, this music, um, you know, I feel like both of these bands should be up higher on, on the list. Uh, there, there's, there's very similar bands, similarities of even dysfunction within the bands, you know, uh, it's very similar themes that, uh, maybe you wouldn't think of right away when thinking of each of these bands separately, but you know, when you really put them together, you're like, yeah, there's, there's a lot between them that uh, is very, very similar. I agree a hundred percent. I think the, the only difference is rat should have been able to maintain that success that they yeah. had. Yeah. Whereas Dokken should have reached the heights that rat had. Cause I think yeah. they, they both had great songs, but again, I, I, I think the common thread between both is the dysfunction between you know the members of the band and and what came to be Dokken seems to be on the road of kind of repairing a lot of that stuff there's been rumblings about them doing something together again 
Um, I think a lot depends on Jeff Pilsen's schedule with Foreigner, but it sounds like Foreigner's really not going to be doing much after this tour because of Mick Jones. Uh, that still remains to be seen. So um, we'll see what happens with that. Mick Brown is, of course, retired just because being a drummer is a very physical instrument and physically demanding. I think even Bobby Blotzer or Stephen Piercy mentioned that um, he just had surgery too as well, unknown as to what it was, but it could have been related to, you know, just drumming all those years. But yeah. it, it does um, it does lead, lead one to believe that that had a lot to do with their dysfunction. One thing I want to add, because you brought up Jakey Lee. Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show, and you definitely got tickets and drinks. Now hurry and make it back to your spot. Pass this person and that person about 20 more. Ooh, watch out for feet. Hey. Just keep going. A little further. Oh, there's your friend. Over here. Right where you want to be. Close enough to see the set list. And they're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. You, When you hear that EP and you hear Warren's style on that EP, because Warren, I think, is at that point where he's still trying to find himself as a guitar player. Yeah. You could totally hear Jakey Lee playing that album. Oh, totally. Totally. You could, you could totally, if you, if you were to fill in, it would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. You could, you could totally see that. Absolutely. You know, like that, that style on Bark at the Moon and what he did with Rough Cut and all that stuff, you could totally hear. That's another band too, that, that, um, it's kind of underneath the surface through all that stuff happening in the eighties, but it's, it's remarkable. And as, as Steven said, that a lot of that stuff was written in 78, late seventies. A lot of that stuff was written for Mickey Rat, as you mentioned, but ended up on that album. So, you know, as they're evolving as artists, we see kind of a peek into their history with Mickey Rat on that EP. And then when they release out of the cellar, you see how the band has really evolved. The band is much tighter. The band is much more slick um, in terms of just rips and writing. Um, they kind of have, you know, a lot more better direction in their songs. And it shows because the songs, like you said, on out of the cellar, there is no filler on that album at all. No. And for that to be the first, I mean, I know you can technically say the EP was the first album, but Out of the Cellar is the first full-length album. So for that to be the first thing that a lot of the public actually, you know, knew, um, you know, outside of LA and and et cetera, you know, for that to be the first one, it's it. I mean, that is extremely impressive. I mean, like you said, there's not, there's literally not one song on that album that I'm like, man, you know. Um, and even for for me, you know, I obviously did not grow up in the eighties. So I discovered all of these bands way, way after the fact. But, um, I remember, you know, hearing round and round at a very young age. It was one of those songs that was on, you know, whatever radio station, or I used to watch a lot of those, uh, my parents would always put them on, um, VH1 classic always had like, they still have it sometimes. I think, um, what is now VH1, the um like metal mania or metal mayhem where they play all the the older 80s videos vh1 classics i think it is yeah yeah Yeah. they would always they would always play uh it was like an hour uh show where they would play just old school metal videos uh which is like one of my favorites so i would always see round and round on on that 
And uh, to me, it's it's one of the like the quintessential songs from that that decade. Like, I mean, I got to know rap because of that song. Um, it's was always always one of my favorites. It is one of I think the the decade defining songs. I, I really believe. Um, and you know, like I said, it's it's still it still stayed contemporary. You know, like two years ago, it was back on the Billboard charts. You know, it's like. It's it's incredible that, you know, that song that that came from that album, their first full length album ever. It's like, wow, that's it's quite impressive. Absolutely. It's it's amazing. Um, my my older brother was a big rat fan. And I tell this story in the first interview I did with Steven. He had he joined the rat fan club. Awesome. And you got like this kit that came to your house after you joined it's kind of like the kiss army type thing right and i got this eight by ten wanted poster and it had all the members of the band that said wanted you know because the wanted man theme and they kind of had the scene of the crime and all that stuff you're in trouble and yeah everything going on and um he took the edges and he burnt the edges kind of kind of made it look weathered yeah and he glued it to like a, a piece of wood <laughs> and he hung it on oh his door God. and every time I walked by his bedroom I would see this wanted picture of rat and I thought man that is the coolest thing ever um to see that and to see kind of like what he did with it so um they were definitely capturing the audience that young audience at the time I think before anyone else I mean obviously there was Motley Crue but I don't know if people could understand that before Motley Crue really broke. And Motley Crue broke really in terms of superstars um, with Home Sweet Home. Yeah. You know, they had they had gained popularity with the tour with Ozzy and the Us Festival and Shout the Devil. But Shout the Devil was no at the time was nowhere near the popularity as out of the cellar was. Right. Yeah, I uh it's really funny you're talking about um like kind of like memorabilia. I have a shirt that's not it's not an original uh shirt, but I think it was based off of an an older, you know, vintage design. Um and it's the band and it has a logo and then it has the bottom today the seller, tomorrow the world. And it is just like it was such a great slogan. I remember when I read that for the first time, I was like, Oh my god, that's fucking epic. Um But yeah, I mean I uh it's it's interesting what you say about Motley Crue because, you know, it's I like Shout Out the Devil the best, but yeah, it's definitely not the album that they they gained uh, a, a legion of fans, you know, at the time with. You know. Started with Home Sweet Home, and even that was kind of a polarizing, you know, Theater of Pain was, eh, you know, people who did follow them and Shout Out the Devil were like, what is this? And, you know, they did gain that, that you know, new um, audience. And then, you know, continued with girls 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 you know when that album came out it was definitely a big album so but i mean not at the time so you look at rad and it's like you know that that ep came out in 83 out of the cellar came out in 84 you know uh before any of those you know a lot of those bands hit it big you know i think a lot of people sometimes forget forget that you know that they were like at the at the very forefront of of that kind of glam metal movement you know um and obviously at the time, way bigger than I think Dawkins was. I mean, Tooth and Nail was just coming out. Dawkins was never a headliner. Um, no. although, although I think they should have been, they, they were never a headliner. So, 
a lot of people forget that rat was, which uh, is, it's like, why, you know, I, I don't know. It's strange. Well, that's what I was saying. You know, after out of the cellar, when they released invasion of your privacy, they were a headlining arena act at right. that time. So when you think of Jeff Leopard with, you know, um, on through the night and high and dry, they were not a headliner yet. Motley Crue through shot the devil wasn't a headliner yet. It wasn't until the third album on each, um, each of those band rat was doing it on the second album. And that was right. in large part because of round and round back for more, which is, you know, kind of a forgotten single from that album, a great song that was actually also on the original EP, a different version. Um, mostly because the EP features a six string acoustic instead of a 12 string, like, like out of the cellar does, but invasion of your privacy, of course, led off with lay it down, which is also regarded as one of the greatest guitar rips of all time. And certainly of that generation. Oh yeah. I, I love, I love that album too. I, I obviously, I would even say personally, I would say that invasion of your privacy doesn't have a lot of skips on it for me either. I, no. I love that record. Um, I know it's not as, I know out of the cellar is like peak rat for a lot of people, but I really love invasion of your privacy. And I uh, also wanted to mention, cause I, I don't know if we talked about it, but um, before she was in white snake videos, Tawny Katane was also, um, which, you know, I, I'm still so upset about her passing, um, but she was featured on the EP. It's her legs on the cover of that album with the rats climbing up the fish nets, which is so great. And then she was also on Out of the Cellar and then in the Back for More video. So she was she was a rat girl before she was ever with with Coverdale. <laughs> yes, that, well, that's important. Yeah, because I mean, she was the first you know video vixen, if you will, yeah. that was on MTV that. Kids like me who are eight, nine, ten years old who were, you know, mesmerized by uh, by Tawny Katane. So yeah. she was the uh, original, you know. She's be- she was before uh, Cherry Pie and before Bobby yep. Brown, and you know, once bitten, twice shy. She was before all that, you know. She was she was an original for sure. She was, and it, it became synonymous though with rap. Rap became kind of like as as Van Halen started to mature with their sound. Um once David Lee Roth left and really at the beginning, you know, with 1984, you know, rap really kind of filled that void too, as being that party band, that good time band right. um, that really kind of stuck to their roots of being that Hollywood band. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, uh, looking back to on, you know, I know we're speaking about invasion of your privacy. I mean, lay it down. You're in love. Another great one. Between the uh, guys, between the eyes, between yeah. your eyes, you between it's between the eyes. I don't know why yeah. I'm saying between your eyes. Uh, that's probably my favorite song on the album. It's, I mean, it's it's such a good one. I, I mean, it. Come on, I mean the the riff to lay it down. It should be one of the most notable. It's it's incredible. Um, even after all these years, like you know, we're talking about it's it's still it still feels fresh to me, no matter how many times I've heard it. <laughs> so. Well, that's another point that I want to make is all these bands were, they had the big ballad hit in the eighties, right? Home sweet home. Yep. You know, Bon Jovi had got, I don't know, half dozen ballad hits, uh, Def Leppard, of course, you know, with love bites and the ballad became the big thing. Rat never really had a ballad hit. No. I mean, you could kind of sit, there was some mid tempo stuff that they had that, you know, maybe you could qualify as a ballad, but really not. But they didn't really have that big, majestic, you know, 
lighter song, cigarette lighter song that people would, would pull out at concerts back in the day instead of their phone. They used to pull out lighters. Uh, but they never, they didn't have that big song and they didn't really use a lot of outside writers until later on in their career. Yeah, you're right. I, I honestly never really, um, really thought about the ballad thing, but I mean, you look at all the hits round and round, lay it down. You're in love, back for more, wanted man, wait cool junior, I want a woman, nobody rides for free, slip of the lip. Not one of those has any even twinge, not like not even a little like, ooh, this could be a ballad. None of those songs, which it's, again, I think a testament to their talent, you know, not that a band that I think puts out a power ballad doesn't have talent, but, you know, I think a lot of bands at that time also put out a ballad because they thought that, you know, it would you know continue to garner the the female audience you know and there's nothing better than a power ballad right you know um and so i i did not even realize think about that before that they did not have they really didn't they didn't have an is this love or a a home sweet home or uh you know every rose has its thorn not a one wow they didn't have any of that stuff and uh you know that's the thing you know they were they made they really stayed true to their roots for as long as they could. I mean, even when you go into Dancing Undercover, which I love this album. I, I, I own this album too when I was a kid. You know, with songs like Slip of the Lip and, and, and Dance, um, Body Talk, which I think is probably one of their best songs yeah. that they've ever recorded, which I think was on an Eddie Murphy soundtrack. I think it was on, or was it Point Break? No, Point Break was Nobody Rides for Free. Body Talk, I think it was a, was a movie called Golden Child. Um, so that was a huge one. Take a chance. Enough is enough. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was, that, I love that record. I love everything about it. Yeah. And, and honestly, one, like I was saying that I think, you know, when people look back on rat, you know, it's a great album, but I feel like for some reason it, to, at least to me, it feels like it's like one of the forgotten records. I don't know why, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I feel like people really look at, out of the cellar invasion of your privacy. And then, you know, like for some reason, I feel like other than slip of the lip, I mean, was, were, were any of these songs? I mean, I think, obviously think it's a great record, but I don't know if any of them were other than body talk and slip of the lip, like, you know, hit hits, you know? Um, and then I mean, to go to reach for the sky, right. You had, I want a woman and um, way cool junior, yeah. but it's, it's, but it's like you said, it's, it's weird trying to main, you know, maintain that level of success that they had, uh, what they had of those first two records, but this album is really good. So it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know why I feel like it didn't. And maybe I'm, I, uh, am wrong just in my perspective of like not growing up in the eighties, but to me, as somebody who was not alive, I feel like after invasion of your privacy, like the popularity of those records feels like to me went down, but which is interesting because it's a great record. So I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. I think, you know, when you, when you hit it on an album, like out of the cellar and it has so many hits and it has not just hits, not just hits, but recognizable stuff too, as well. Right. You know, like, like, um, you know, round around is one of the most recognizable songs of all time. Like wanted man, you know, obviously not recognizable as much as round around, but you know, that voice that he has, Stephen Piercy, um, is really what what really separates rap from the other bands. You know, there, there there are singers like Bruce Dickinson and Rob Halford 
and other vocalists throughout that time that you know, can re- reach this these heights of singing and do all these things. And Stephen Piercy is not one of those singers. He's not a Rob Halford. He's not a Bruce Dickinson. Not many people are. But what Stephen has is that undeniable like voice that you yeah. instantly recognize within the first note of he's that he's singing. Yep. You know, it, it's 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 very similar to like a Bon Scott style, even like you can even put Vince Neal in that too as well. The recognizable voice is almost as important as you know how you can sing. Oh, totally. I I you know, before I knew a lot about um rat in general, you know, growing up and just listening to this music, I knew I knew it was the same band. You know, when I heard Stephen Piercy's voice and I heard round and round and to lay it down, I was like, there's no denying that that is the same band, you know, before I was even well-versed in, in recognizing guitar tones and stuff, you know, I feel like also Warren Martini has a sound that is very recognizable. Um, you know, you can definitely tell that it's him playing, uh, but Stephen's voice, especially, you know, like I said, I, I always knew when it, there was one rat song to another, um, it's like, yeah, that is totally the same band. And like you said, I think that that sometimes is even more important than being great, a great technical singer, you know, being an operatic kind of singer or, or anything like that, you know, um, to be able to have somebody listen to a song and go, that's rat based off of just the sound of your voice is, uh, I think very helpful. And like you said, very important. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, it, 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 there's something to be said about having recognizable a recognizable voice than how many registers you can hit on a song. And, you know, Rat was really defined. I think the two faces of Rat through the height of their popularity were, of course, Stephen, because he was the lead singer. But I also think Robin played yeah. a big part, too, as that well, because he was this six foot five, blonde hair, um, you know, guitar player that, you know, was really, you know, part of that too, more so than Warren. Warren kind of took a back seat in terms of just the image, in terms of what they were about. But, you know, Robin and Steven were really at the forefront constantly. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, totally with that. And uh, I mean, like you said, I think also with with the music, it, it is a testament that they did not have a lot of outside writers. You know, it was all of them um, and Robin and, and Steven. And uh, I don't know. I, I think that, that them not having outside writers, like not having the influence of, of a million other people. I know that they did. If I'm correct, they did have Desmond Child eventually help with. I'm Detonator, album. which was you know, the record yeah. after Reach for the Sky. And that's, you know, I was just going to bring up. Yeah. You know, because you really you know, rap really, you know, stuck to their core, stuck to their roots in terms of, of who they had on, who, who they were writing with. They didn't write with really anyone outside of maybe Bo Hill and a couple of others. They didn't really have the outside writers. Like they started to with Desmond Child on Detonator. And I know, I think that also acted kind of as a, as a detriment to them too, as well, because I yeah. think with Detonator, they were trying to chase more than lead. And when I say that, Love and Use a Dirty Job, I think is, and Shame, yeah. Shame, Shame was a good song. Um, Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. These are all co-written by Desmond Child. And they're all great songs. I mean, and then they had Given Yourself Away, which was written by Diane Warren. 
Giving Yourself Away is one of my favorite rap songs. Yeah. Uh, I love that tune. That's probably the closest they got to valid success um, while they were while they were recording. But I just think it kind of it, it, it pushed them in the, in the wrong direction, in my in my point of view, like where they were starting to chase things instead of, you know, lead things. Because, you know, they captured an element in those first four albums in the EP that they should have, you know, kept kept going with. And I think they just tried to they tried to capitalize on what was happening in the scene at that time. Yeah, I mean, this was 1990, um, and it's funny. I feel like I feel like Desmond Child always finds a way to sneak John Bon Jovi into like whatever project he's working on. He did it too with Alice Cooper. Yeah, um, John, and that was '89. Uh, John like stuck in back and vocals on a song. I'm like, man, get out of here, John. Let's 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 let Rat just breathe. Uh, but no, I mean, I think you know, like you said, he saw all the success with all of these albums that they internally wrote together. And I think any time that you bring in somebody on the outside, I mean, I guess as well as anybody can understand your project or, you know, be familiar enough with the albums that you released. I mean, it's, it's somebody on the outside, you know, it's, it's different chemistry. It's not the same chemistry, you know, you're adding another person um, and hearing their influence and, you know, Sometimes it's great. Like you said, I think giving yourself away is probably the best song on that album, um, personally. And, uh, I mean, so sometimes it does work. And then, you know, also with this album, I know that it was kind of the beginning on the tour of, you know, some problems that they were having with, with Robin and, you know, kind of was the beginning of the downfall. Um, you know, at least that we know of. I'm, I'm sure that it was not always <laughs> perfect before that either, but. Um, you know, that was kind of the beginning of, of the, the end, uh, which I think, you know, who knows if that contributed to, you know, like maybe we need to bring somebody else in because, you know, not only are we adapting with the times, but, you know, this isn't working like it did before and we have to try to figure out a way to make it work. Uh, you know, so there's, I think there's a lot of different pros and cons of bringing Desmond in. Yeah. And I guess, you know, add to that is the dysfunction that keeps growing within the band too as well. Um, You know, they, they of course were splitting things, I don't know, five ways or whatever, but you know, Bobby, I don't think is credited on any song written by rat. So he was missing out on royalties, which caused a big, you know, would cause a lot of friction within the band. But um, you know, it wasn't until they had some other albums that they kind of had released. They released a self-titled album and I think they had another album called Collage that, you know, maybe there's a couple of good points on it, but it wasn't really until Infestation that they were able to really return to that sound that they had. And the only other co-writer on that was the producer on that album, which was Michael Baschetti, um, which helped, you know, co- you know, co-write some of those songs that they had. But yeah, again, they didn't try to go for the, the the pop song on the radio. They didn't try to hire in someone who's written hit after hit like Desmond Child or Diane Warren. They kind of stayed close to who they were. And I think that's, again, goes to show you what Rat was and what Rat wrote, made made Rat roll. I say Rat and roll. <laughs> but but um, which is those core members, which is the guys that knew the band better than anybody and knew what their fans wanted. And I think when they returned to that sound on infestation 
that's why that album is so highly regarded. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's like, you know, they they found what worked, you know, they 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 refound what worked originally, you know. It's like they went back to to the roots of of, you know, when they were first starting and I, I think that that in a lot of instances you see for a lot of bands who kind of go through stuff like this or you know trials and tribulations you know that they that they go back to kind of where they were at before you know it's it, it feels like again a lot of similarities like docking with dysfunctional i feel like it's it's a very similar instance um kind of going back to the roots the four of them you know kind of putting aside the shit for a little bit you know um i think that you know like you said, kind of gives the fans what they wanted and the rat that they, the rat that they remembered. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that was just their signature sound and, you know, the importance of this band in that scene, you know, we, I've always kind of classified is eighties um, is kind of like three, three parts to one decade. You know, the early part was very raw, very heavy, which rat was a part of. And then it became very mainstream. It became, you know, the the big ballads, all that stuff was happening. Although they didn't write a ballad, Rat was very essential to that part of the scene. And then it became very image conscious. It became more than what was intended. Um, Rat was definitely a part of that. But I think Rat didn't want to play the game until Detonator and have, you know, have these outside songwriters come in. And by that time, you know, the, the, the slope of that decade started to, to dwindle, yeah. started to decline. But I mean, that was like, yeah, that was like the, the beginning of Desmond Child's like rain. <laughs> A lot of those bands, I mean, worked with Alice Cooper. I was wrong. Uh, I was going to say, um, I wasn't sure. It was obviously at, before Aerosmith. Because he worked there Smith on um, a couple of albums as well. That was like in the early nineties. So this was before that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, I mean, Desmond Child touched a lot of these, these bands. And I mean, I, I think I obviously like the songs that Desmond Child writes. Uh, I think he's a very good, I think he's a very great songwriter. Definitely. I think more of a commercial songwriter, you know, like again, I keep bringing up um, Alice Cooper trash, but that's like the best, the, the most notable example that uh, I can think of for myself of like, you know, Poison, you know, he did a great job of getting Alice back to the um, the forefront of of rock and, and hard rock at that time. Um, but I think that sometimes for some bands, the commercial thing doesn't really work. You know, mm-hmm. I think with with Rat, that might have been the case. Um, but, you know, like I said, I don't I don't think it's a bad album. Um, I think it's I think it's a decent album. But I think for, you know, we talk about the rawness that Rat had, you know, the they sounded like they were from the streets. And you go back to that EP. Um, I think for some bands like that, that would be like, you know, this is a more exaggerated example. But like, you know, having somebody like Desmond Child go, you know, Metallica, we're going to sit down and, uh, you know, write a ballad it would have been like no you know um and i mean obviously with rat that's on a lesser scale they were never as heavy as metallica but you know they were on that ep with them so i mean on that um that compilation yeah compilation with them so you know i think i think for some bands it works you know for alice cooper it worked alice cooper had done ballads his whole career his entire career he had ballads um aerosmith also had ballads you know over the course of their career you know so when he came on um 
you know, kind of going for a more commercial sound wasn't like, ooh, this is this is a uh, born, you know, for us. This is on, you know, charted territory. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like maybe for Rat, a band that was a lot heavier, uh, a lot raw, a lot more raw, you know, that maybe it was like not the greatest idea to try to go commercial, more commercial um, in a sense. So, I mean, who knows, but. Yeah. No, and I think the last thing about Rat that sounds like there's material coming is there's really no live album or live music from that decade to really document how powerful and how how instrumental they were um, during that decade. Talking with Stephen in this last interview, he did say he's putting out music later this year and it's going to include a couple of rat tracks, live tracks that were recorded, you know, in the clubs in the early days. So hopefully there's more of that to come because I think that's one of the things that's missing from their, from their legacy. Agreed. That would be, um, that'd be incredible if if he included some of those, because I think that, um, you know, fans live for that shit. You know, they go on like YouTube rabbit holes to find stuff like that. So I like to, to include that on a record would be pretty cool. Yes, I can't wait for it. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to, I think they also have a compilation, you know, another greatest hits album coming out. So we'll see what, 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 what that includes and what that entails. But Rat is one of the forces of 80s rock and one of the, the most important bands of that decade. Um, I would say probably throughout the whole decade in terms of that style of music, probably one of the top five most important bands to, uh, to release music. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, uh, I anybody who listens to my you know radio show or podcast knows that that you know '80s glam from '80 you know '82 even you know to even guess going back to Van Halen to you know early '90s is like my favorite period of music. You know, I I love all of those bands. Dawkins my favorite. You know, Rat is one of my favorite bands from that that time. Um, to me, it doesn't get any better than that that era for me so i i completely agree that um that they were just so instrumental so important one of the most important bands of that decade and uh i will just always love out of the cellar always love invasion of your privacy those like i said those records to me are just you know priceless all killer no filler in my opinion so i'm i love them sydney it's been a blast thanks very much for doing this Uh, It is no problem. I uh, always love coming on, so thank you so much for having me again. I appreciate it. Everyone, that is Sydney Taylor, host of Metal from the Inside, which is going to be returning very soon. I am Jay Scott. This is The Hook Box. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Take care of each other. We'll talk soon.
Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show. You got in... Over here! ...with a friend and found a spot close enough to see the set list. They're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.